says, yeah, there's this deception coming, this thing that you have to watch out for, but there is hope found in Jesus, a God who came to save, a Holy Spirit who came to sanctify, and you can be a part of Jesus' glory. All you have to do is accept the truth of who Jesus is. Hey everyone, it's Michael. Welcome back to another episode of Elevate Retake. This week on the podcast, we're diving into the message, Why Jesus Hasn't Come Back Yet. That and much, much more in this episode. Can't wait for you to listen to it as you're engaging with this message. You can think of the question, what are your expectations for the end times? Here's where we are. This summer, we are rethinking church. We're in the middle of the series, Rethinking Church. We're in the middle of uh, 2 Thessalonians, and I mean that quite literally this morning because we're going to be covering chapter 2. And the question that was asked a moment ago, what are your expectations for the end times? Quote, end quote. What are your expectations for the end times? It's quite a question, right? Because if you've been a part of Christianity for a while, or if you've grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church or another denomination that holds up eschatology, there's a lot that's flown around in terms of how things are going to shake down at the end. And in some ways, we can feel that the end is closer than it seems. And I would offer you this today as we begin our message that Jesus is coming soon. I can seem like, okay, what is soon, right? Soon is maybe one of the most misused words in the English language because soon could mean three hours from now. It could mean next month. It could mean a couple years. It's like, oh, it's just gonna, it's gonna happen soon, right? But here's the thing. Each day that passes brings us closer to the second coming of Jesus. And we are, it's, it's, he's coming sooner than he was yesterday, whether it's immediate or years to come. I titled today's uh, a message, Uh, you know, in light of that, I titled today's message, Why Jesus Hasn't Come Back, right? Because that's perhaps the the next thing in our mind, and we have great expectations for that, right? Jesus is coming back, and we look forward to that day. What a day that's going to be like when the clouds break open and the ground breaks open. We're reunited with family that we haven't seen in a while, reunited with people that we've never met that are a part of humanity, and we blissfully go with our Savior into eternity, But what's to happen in between now and then, and what are our expectations? Because, you know, sometimes we can be disappointed, right? We can expect a particular thing to happen, and then it turns out that our expectations didn't quite match up to reality. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Buster uh, uh, shared the message, finishing up 1 Thessalonians, and he talked about wish.com. Anybody's ordered something from Wish, and you think you're getting one thing, but it, it turns out it's another. Uh, maybe you've seen these uh, videos on, on Facebook or, uh, or YouTube, maybe the conglomeration video. It's the, the setting is a nice wedding venue, and, and the groom is standing there, and he's blindfolded, and it's going to be the, the first look. And what a beautiful moment, right? Imagine what's going through his mind. He gets his first look at his bride and, and, and the pictures that they're going to take. And uh, the, the groomsmen are kind of chuckling because the best man has gone and gotten a, a white dress that kind of barely fits him. And he's got this veil on and the high heels. And he walks out over and reaches for the hands of the groom. And the groom takes off his uh, blindfold. And he's staring into the beautifully ugly face of his best man whom he's expecting to meet his bride for the first time, right? 
great expectations sometimes don't match up with reality. And please don't even get me started on the fitted sheet, right? How many of you successfully fold a fitted sheet? If you do, let me know. I struggled with it uh, yesterday. It's like, this is going to turn out great. You watch the video, you tuck this corner in here and you do this and that and it comes together. And it's like, ah, I might as well just throw it in a ball anyway, right? And we'll just kind of toss that to the side. Great expectations sometimes do not match up with reality. We asked this question this week on our Instagram, what are your expectations for the end times? And we got some responses, fear and uncertainty. Someone expects that they will be alone and someone else expects that no matter what, Christ will provide. And so it's with this concept and idea that we turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. So we've got your Bibles. Turn with me there. We've got the New Living Translation on the screen for you today. Whether you're here in person, you can pull out your Bible and scroll it on your, on your phone, or you've got the physical one. Whether you're watching online, you can join in either way, and we're glad you're here as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It starts off this way. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. If you've been following with this series or you've read 1 Thessalonians before 2 Thessalonians, you know that Paul, Silas, and Timothy spent a lot of time in their first letter to the Thessalonians talking about what the second coming of Jesus was going to be like. They described it with with trumpets and with loud sounds and, and something that everyone is going to see and it's going to be quite the glorious day. But apparently, he wasn't clear enough. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered together. This group of people, this early Thessalonian church, is struggling with their expectations of the return of Jesus Christ. And Paul lays it out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. There were apparently some people who were espousing some teachings about the second coming of Jesus that were not true. Who knew? Fake news was around 2,000 years ago. There's some letters, there's some visions, there's some prophecies that have been floating around. Imagine if the internet was alive and well when Jesus was, was here on this, on this earth, right? The, the different conspiracies that would be floating around, and someone might pop up and say, you know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they don't know what they're talking about. Jesus has actually already come, or he's coming next week or, or next year, and heaven forbid somebody might set a date or pinpoint that this might be the time that the, the world ends. And Paul is so convinced about his interpretation of of the way Jesus is going to come back and so convinced that everything else floating out there is wrong that 2 Thessalonians, a lot of scholars believe that he wrote it with his own hand. Because if we jump forward, and and it's spoiler alert for chapter 3 that we're going to get into next week, but chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, read this way. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul. Imagine what his signature might have been like. I don't know. I do this in all my letters to prove they are from me. Paul says, I want you to know that this comes from me. There's no false teaching here. This is from me. Anything else you hear that might be from me is not. You've got to look for my signature. And then verse 18. 
By the way, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. <laughs> I think it's kind of a funny way to end the letter because he's like, this is me and, you know, grace and peace uh, to you guys. But back to verse 2 in chapter 2. Imagine a world where there's a lot of information and misinformation floating around about how and when Jesus is going to come back. That would never happen, right? Okay, that was funnier in my head. Good thing YouTube and Facebook weren't around back then. There's a lot of stuff that floats around today, right, about how Jesus is going to come back, what that is going to look like. Paul wants them to make sure that they are not fooled by it. Verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come. Here's the reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. We're going to take a look at those two events or that person and, and the rebellion that they bring. Paul says, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus will not come back until there is a great rebellion and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And astute Bible scholars that you are, immediately in your mind you're thinking, okay, what is that great rebellion all about and who is that man of lawlessness. And here's the thing that, that we have to, to, to wrestle with, particularly as, as a Seventh-day Adventist church and uh, I think in Christianity in general, because there's this kind of undergirding expectation that the next thing that's going to happen in the eschatology of this world and the way things are going to shake down is that th the next event is that Jesus is coming back. And Paul makes it unequivocally clear. And I think 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is one of the clearest timelines of eschatology in Scripture. Makes it absolutely clear that there's a couple things that have to happen before Jesus comes back. So who is this guy? What's this great rebellion all about? Well, there's a hyphen at the end of, of verse 3 there. And it says, the man of lawlessness is the one who brings destruction. Now, the KJV will translate this some ways into the, the son of perdition. We find this, uh, this type of phrasing in John chapter 17, verse 12, when it's referring to Judas. Uh, During my time here, I protected them by the power uh, of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that, no one, so that not one of them was lost, except the one headed for destruction, the one headed to destruction, the son of perdition, as the scriptures foretold. That's Jesus talking about Judas, the one who would betray him. So in our mind's eyes, we look at who this man of lawlessness is. He is someone who is headed for destruction and brings destruction in his wake. And verse 4 makes it even clearer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. In a way, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are borrowing language from Isaiah 14 and uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. Those two passages describe this divine, heavenly being who sought himself and esteemed himself higher than God. And says, God, I can do your job better than you. I'm going to exalt myself above you. Everybody else is, is giving you praise. Maybe it's, it's my turn to step into your seat. 
And we see the connection between 2 Thessalonians and the prophecies from Isaiah and Ezekiel. Pitting those together with how we interpret Revelation and Daniel, it becomes, in my mind, unequivocally clear that the person being described here is none other than Satan himself. And I think today's sermon and today's text will be the closest I ever get to preaching a sermon about Satan, uh, because I don't think he deserves a lot of our time. I I know he steals it from us, Uh, but it's better to know the the real man, Jesus, as opposed to the counterfeit, right? Because you recognize the knockoff if you study the real thing. So here's the closest look that we get at it. Satan himself is going to exalt himself, defy everything that people call God and every object of worship, even to the point that he sits in the temple of God. Think about that for a moment. Sitting in the temple of God means that you're in the place of God. Sitting in God's throne means that in some ways you're the one that's in command. And may I offer to you today that there might come a time in our earth's history that God steps back and says, okay, Satan, if you think you can run this really well, here's the keys. Let's see how well you do so that your true character can come before the entire universe. That's scary to think about. That's intimidating, but I think that's the direction that Paul is headed. And verse 5 continues on. Don't you remember what I told you about all this when I was with you? There's this kind of sense of like, man, guys, guys, we went over this. Don't, don't be fooled. Don't be incensed by everything else that is going on. And now that we've seen who this person is, now when does all this happen? And we read verses 6 through 8 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They go this way. And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. Verse 7. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Verse 8, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man of lawlessness has been working during, even during the time of Paul, but he says that he has not been, he has not been revealed yet. And the, the power and the thrust of this actor were felt at the time of Paul. He's already working, but the mystery of who he is has yet to be revealed because the great restrainer, the one who holds him back, has not let them let him go. It makes sense to me. You look back throughout all of history and we can see how the enemy has been working against God and his people throughout all of human history since the fall of Adam and Eve. And Paul says it's been true. He's been working up until then, but there will come a point where the veil is pulled back and the person, it was the the Wizard of Oz where they go behind the curtain and the, the, I haven't seen the movie forever and I don't know the lore of it, but like the person is revealed, right? It's not the, the evil person is not the person uh, who they thought they were. Veil is pulled back and they are revealed. And here, I think it's the most scary thing about this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This man, some other translation will use the one, uh, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. And verse 10, he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. 
We've been looking at First and Second Thessalonians and seeing how our, our community and our faith comes together in the light of Jesus' return. Might I offer you today that there will be someone else who will return to this earth as a poser. You know, like 90s, early 2000s skate culture, like you carry a skateboard around with you, but you don't really know how to skate. We call it a poser. Uh, Yeah, this poser is going to show up, but here's the thing. He comes in the same way that Jesus comes, but everything that he does is counterfeit. He comes with power and with signs and, and with miracles, even to deceive, some Bible authors say, even the elect. And this person who sets himself up in evil deception will fool those who are headed for destruction. And here's in in my mind as as I'm reading this passage where expectations come in, if the next thing we're expecting is, is Jesus' return, might it be possible that we could be fooled by a false Jesus? By someone who who comes that claims to be Jesus, that checks off a lot of the boxes and can appear like he's God, but is in fact not. And here's where they end up, 11 and 12 of chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Verse 12, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. This is a hard message, right? This is kind of tucked in the, in the midst of 2 Thessalonians. Like, where do we find hope? Where do we, we find comfort in, in the midst of this book? Jesus has got to be in there somewhere. And I think he's found at the end of this verse because those who enjoyed evil rather than believing the, the truth. Remember, Jesus in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, 16 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul opens up for us that there's going to be a split between those enjoying evil and those who are believing the truth. So a heavy question for us to ponder today is what truth are we believing? The marker of the world that we live in in this postmodern, almost post-Christian world is that you can believe whatever you want. It's okay, man, like you do you, you like, Just just roll with it. Your truth is found inside of you. But I think Scripture offers to us a better way that truth is found in none other than the man, Jesus Christ. who's God's Son who came to this world to show us the way to live the life and to be the truth for us. And Paul finishes this way, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. His focus shifts. He says, hey, we've dealt with the evil that is to come, but this I want you to know. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. And verse 14. He called you to salvation when we, when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy offer hope to this young church group. He says, yeah, there's this deception coming, this thing that you have to watch out for, but there is hope found in Jesus, a God who came to save, a Holy Spirit who came to sanctify, and you can be a part of Jesus' glory. All you have to do is accept the truth of who Jesus is. 
Salvation is good news for us. It's the good news of Jesus. But God who came to surrender himself in order that we might have eternal life. I love how Paul in this passage dichotomized the the working of the evil one versus the working of God and the way that he talks about the working of God. It's going to happen this way. That God is in the process of saving his people and everything that the work of the evil one, everything that he does always finishes with Jesus stepping in and doing away with evil and with destruction. 100%. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Here is Paul's encouragement to this group. With all these things in mind, with this view of what is going to come in the end and your expectations that perhaps have not been the best. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you both in person and by letter. Paul at the end of the day comes back and says, here's the stance that I want you to take. Stand firm and hold on to the things that we have shared with you. Keep a strong grip on those teachings. The number one thing for Paul was that the Thessalonians would center themselves on the words that he had written to them and had told them in Scripture. And isn't it a wonder that we, 2,000 years later, can hold those words in our hand and open them up for ourselves? That the roadmap for how we navigate the times to come is laid out for us in Scripture. But we can't know it if we don't give ourselves to it. Opening up the word of God and embracing the truth that is Jesus. The words written in this book testify about a God who loves and about how Jesus who came to die for us and a Holy Spirit who's walking with us every step that we go. Scripture keeps us focused on what's important. It can be very easily to be swayed one way or another by the, the feeds that we follow. Scripture helps us recognize who Jesus is because there's a deception coming and a deception that now already is. We struggle with that on a daily basis, but Scripture keeps us pointed towards true north. We find that in Jesus. So the question to add on to what truth are we believing, what do we give our attention to? In this life that we're living, as we're going about and being wonderful, beautiful, blessed people of God who are succeeding in the things that you're putting your hands to, what do we give our attention to? I heard uh, uh, a couple of years ago, someone was, was speaking about how, how, to, how to live well and, and make positive decisions about what they would put in their body and how they would exercise and, and be fit. And these words have stuck with me ever since. Four words, eat what fuels you. I think that's applicable for our physical bodies, but even much more for our spiritual ones. That's important for us in these times to eat what fuels us. Not the cheap stuff. You don't go to the, uh, where you get water here in Keene and pull your car up to it and run a hose to it and dump water into your engine, your engine's not going not gonna to go very far. You put in your car what fuels it. How much more do we in our own selves need to put inside what fuels us? 
And so how do we do that? Like, what does that look like, right? Because it's easy for me to stand up here and say, hey, you know, do better and you guys figure it out. And this will probably sound cheesy because you've heard this before, but I think there's three super important things that help us navigate the times that we live in and help us know what to believe and follow that 100% and know what to give our attention to. And here's those, those three things. A regular ingestion of scripture. And I use the word ingestion because there's a little bit more that goes on than just like throwing your, your eyes at a page and kind of seeing what sticks. The Bible calls us to read it, to mark God's words on our heart so that they become a part of who we are. When you walk out of a restaurant after having eaten, that food goes with you and it becomes a part of who you are, for better or worse, right? We must regularly ingest scripture. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe an ingestion of scripture, that diet, you know, you start a new diet and it's like, man, this is kind of hard on my stomach. Like, I get it. You go to some weird stuff in Ezekiel and there's these spinning things and hairy angels and fire. It's like, oh, it's weird. I encourage you to start with Jesus. It's the perfect place to start and the only place to start, right? Find a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and invest in knowing who Jesus is. And I'm not going to prescribe and say, hey, you got to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and do that. you got to do that at 9 o'clock and night before you go to bed. Find a way to regularly do that. Whatever that regularness looks like for you, regularly ingest Scripture. That's number one. Number two, regularly have conversations with God. Now, the short word of that is like pray, right? We say the word prayer and it's like, well, what does that mean? How do I, how do, I do that? For me, what it's boiled down to is conversing with God as I would converse with any one of you. Maybe even how I would converse with my spouse or with, with my family. Someone that you love and trust. God is willing to have a conversation with you. And it doesn't have to be in the, the words of like, oh, Holy Father, we thank you for this blessing. Like if that works for you, like good, like great. But God has invested in us and he created us to be who we are and expects us to relate to him within the personality that he's given to us. So if that for you is, I don't know, in your backyard, in your bathroom, holding your cup of coffee, like watering something early in the morning, you're like, hey God, what's up? Or maybe it's taking your family out into the middle of the lake and going around on a boat and, and sharing like, hey, how has God worked in your life this week? Maybe it's the stillness of a closet that you bow yourself in. Maybe it's in a coffee shop with, with headphones in and some worship music playing and a Bible out in front of you and you just say, God, I'm broken and I'm in need of help. Wherever it is, God is here to listen and he wants to converse with you. So to pair regular ingestion of scripture with a regular conversation with God, what we must do for number three is to regularly engage with the faith community because that keeps us in check. That keeps us from going off the deep end, so to speak, and like, oh, here's how everything's going to shake down. I got it. And this is kind of this isolated interpretation of scripture. As we regularly ingest scripture and regularly converse with God, then we come together in a community in maybe the very same way we are doing that this morning. Because us gathered here in this space is an expression of the body of Christ. And maybe you get to pull somebody aside and be like, man, I was reading this thing and, and this book and I didn't fully understand it. Have you read that before? Maybe could you help me understand that? 
And both you and that other person become to a better understanding of who God is and leave that space changed. Regular ingestion of scripture, regular conversation with God, and regular engagement with the faith community. What are your expectations for the end times? I hope that they're shaped by an honest reading of this book. Wherever you are, I hope that you come to Scripture with an open mind, a willing for the Holy Spirit to move anything inside of you that needs to be moved. I hope that it, our community would not be swayed and run from this conspiracy to that, to this story, to that, to the other thing, but that our community would firmly stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our only, if there's a ticket, Jesus is our only ticket to the life to come. And that is found in a close, personal relationship with him. And that's where Paul finishes chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. So I want to encourage you, whatever it is for you, whatever is spoken to you, whether it's more scripture, more conversation with God, or more regular engagement in this faith community, or the one that you find yourself in, I want to encourage you that Jesus is there to walk with you. And that he's the one that has called you. And if he's called you, he's faithful to do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the space where we get to come and worship. We get to come and understand a little bit more about you. What's to come can appear very scary for a moment, but in the light of your face, in the light of your grace, in the light of what you're doing in our lives, all of a sudden we can have peace in the midst of the storm because we know that you love us and you've called us and you're working out salvation in our lives. So God, give us reminders this week, whether it's scripture, whether it's a conversation with you or engagement in, in, in our faith community. God, give us reminders, signposts along the road that will help us to come to know you closer. God, we leave our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. You can find our retake episode coming later on this week on Thursday. Can't wait for you to engage with that conversation. Thanks so much. We'll catch you then.